I talk to people around the country, is a brand. This is a brand marketing exercise. Building a brand is a lot more than your marketing budget. It's about knowing your industry, your customers, and most importantly, yourself. Anybody can get one-offs. Anybody can get lucky and get that big case. It's the consistency of getting those cases all the time. And that's by building a brand. You're listening to the Personal Injury Marketing Mastermind, the show where elite personal injury attorneys and leading edge marketers give you exclusive access to grow strategies for your firm. Glenn Lerner knows who he is, and he knows a thing or two about building a brand. He's built the second largest PI firm in the nation, largely on the back of his catchy ads and candid persona. We sat down for a wide-ranging conversation about the state of the industry, the media approach that's brought him success, and what to do with the dreaded one-star review. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first-page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing is all about understanding people, so let's get to know our guest. Here's Glenn Lerner, founding partner at Lerner & Rowe Injury Attorneys. Take me back before you were a lawyer. You've worked, you know, your share, fair share of blue-collar jobs. You were a, a teamster, a garbage man. You know, how did you make that transition from those jobs into law? Well, I think, you know, I was always a good student. And so, um, kind of like young Prince Henry, I always kind of knew that the only way I was going to be able to really know people and understand people is if I really worked the jobs that most people work. You know, I knew I was going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief or something. I got into Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth, Duke. You know, a lot of times when you grow up like that and you're around those people, you don't really know what the real world's like. And so I, I you know, obviously being a garbage man, my first job when I was uh, 18 or 19, uh, getting ready to go to college. It kept me in great shape. I ran after the truck the whole summer to get ready for soccer season. Uh, but I just saw what it was like to work, man. They said I was the hardest worker, the greatest garbage man they had there. But you know what? I only did that for one summer. Imagine doing that every day, 365 days a year, except the weekends, for 25, 30 years. That's hard. That's a grind, man. And it's easy to, you know, be a superstar for two months during the summer when you know you're just as, you know, the world's your oyster. But when this is your life, you know, you get to see a different side of humanity. And so for me, it was really important. And I, I think I never lost it. Obviously, I think everybody knows my story growing up. I grew up on welfare with my father in jail for double murder. Grew up with a dad in jail for 19 years. Went to jail when I was... Uh, what, when I was five, I was just starting kindergarten and he got out when I finished my second year of law school. It's a different way to grow up, you know, it's just, it's all I've ever known. So it's just, I never forgot where I came from though. You know, I've been very blessed, but I've never forgotten where I came from. But I know what it's like to be on the, the other side. And, you know, in, in some respects, you know, I guess it gives me a different perspective on everybody saying, well, the card just stacked against you in America. The card's unstacked. America's the greatest country in the world. We have every opportunity in the world if you want to work hard. Absolutely. And I, and I couldn't agree more. And I'm sure a lot of that showed you work ethic and you, that you brought right into law firms, you know, and, and just building your career. I mean, it's just been exceptional. I read in an interview that, that you were considering dropping out of law school. What was that? Did you have a different opportunity? I got my first D of my life. I called my mom. I said, this just isn't for me. It was after my uh, first semester, second year. And I called my mom. I said, I'm done. This obviously isn't for me. And she said, why don't you just try to stick it out? And I thought about it for the day and I did. And, you know, she was right. I never quit on anything in my entire life. And I think, you know, it would have been a shame to have quit there. You know, we kind of know, you know, the story's been a decent story. I hate to think what I would have been or what would have happened to me if I had quit, you know. 
Yeah. You've certainly had an amazing career. And, you know, I want to dive right in since this is the personal injury marketing mastermind right into TV ads. I mean, you have a ton of experience there. You've created hundreds, if not thousands of TV ads over the years. What did you identify that is just like, hey, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to start doing commercials. What was that, that big push? You know, I was doing some commercials early on in Vegas when I owned my first little business called Budget Legal. But it wasn't anything big. It was a small little budget and not enough to make a dent. In 1998, I had a lady start working for me that had worked for Brian Lockhart in Dallas. And Brian, you know, God rest his soul, passed away a couple of years ago. But Brian had built a very large practice. And he was with a company that was doing the one call, that's all, and all that stuff. And it me to check. And she said, man, I think this would be really right up your alley. You know, they're fun commercials. It kind of meshes with your personality. Why don't you go down, fly down to Dallas, speak to Brian? So I did. You know, I had really never done much PI. I had just done a little bit of PI through my first seven years of being a lawyer. And I went down, met with Brian, and he kind of gave me the ins and outs, taught me the ropes a bit. I went back, uh, did some spots. In the first month, for $10,000, we signed up 66 new clients. And I was like, wow. Wow, I think we've hit on something here. But, you know, it was a, a, a certain type of marketing that meshed with my personality. I am what I am. I mean, what you see is what you get. I have a big personality. I'm a charismatic guy. It's just how I've always been. I have a unique ability to make the people that meet me. Everybody thinks in Vegas, we represent God even knows. I've represented about 150,000 people around the country. But in Vegas, probably 30,000, 40,000 people. Every single one of them thinks they're my friend, you know? So it's called Friends of Glenn. It's called Fog. Everybody calls up and says, I'm a friend of Glenn's, you know? It's certainly, uh, I guess, a cool personality to have in some respects, but I think it becomes difficult when they call me up. My uh, intake people will say, this guy says he's a friend of yours. He wants a, he wants a reduced fee, you know? <laughs> That's funny. That's great. We're doing the audio recording here, but you got this big smile. You know, you first jumped on right at the beginning of our interview. It like makes me feel at ease. Yeah, I think well, that, that's what's worked for myself and my partner. It's just, we're just regular guys. I'm just a regular guy. I worked in a garbage truck. I grew up with a, you know, my dad in jail. I grew up on welfare. I'm just, I'm, I'm you. I just finished law school because my mom said, don't give up. I never, yeah. I'm an approachable, regular guy. That's it. I'm not a rocket science. I'm good with people. God gave me really good people skills because I'm honest, I'm transparent. You know, my friend Harlan Schillinger, who worked in my office for years, he gave me the nicest compliment. You know, someone asked him, what kind of guy is Glenn? And he says, you know, I, the only thing I really say about Glenn is Glenn's an honest man. Yeah. You know, when you think about when you eulogize, how do you want to be eulogized? No one's ever going to say I was the richest lawyer in America. No one's going to say I was the tallest lawyer in America. A couple might say I'm the best looking, but... You know, they might be from my family, but, uh, you know, really it's going to be, what kind of man was he? And I want to be known as just an honest man. You know, if I say something, I will die before I go back on my word. And I think that's why a lot of people respect me. I will never say one thing and do the other. I'd rather lose my whole business. I, I love that. I love that. And that, that's a legacy, right? That's, that's a legacy that you want. And, you know, you, you mentioned starting out, you did $10,000 and you got those 66 cases. Yeah. You know, hey, yeah. it's, it's saturated it's now. Huh? It'd be incredible to have that hour away. <laughs> right, right. It is. It'd be me and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I was looking at some of the media spends for some of the states, and I'm not going to name the specific law firms, though. You know, we've got Texas. we got, you know, an attorney spending $10 million in TV. and Jim Adler in, in Houston. It's incredible. Spending everywhere. It's crazy. And it's getting worse and worse. It's getting more competitive. And I guess if I can interject for a second, I think the 
the anomaly here is that people are spending more and more fighting over fewer cases. This is a crossroads, I think, in our business. You know, you have the remnants of COVID and the effects it's had on our business model because, you know, fewer people working in the office means fewer people on the roads. You have the fact that people in perpetuity now know that they can work from home. Businesses are letting people, even we have to start having, you know, letting our people have the option to work from home a couple of days a week. If we don't, they're going to go work for someone else that does now. This one of the incredible things that happened with this whole pandemic was it changed the leverage from the employers to the employees. And it's um, it's not a good dynamic for owning a business right now. It's not a good dynamic for trying to get cases right now, because I think the curve kind of it's it's always a little bit behind how things should be. So people see the success, maybe us or John Morgan or Jim Adler or Morris Barter having, and it takes them a little bit of time to get up the nerve to jump in. But by the time they jumped in, they jumped in when you have a market that's gone kind of upside down. So you have a huge concentration of lawyers in so many markets around the country fighting over a finite number of cases. And in fact, a number of cases that's diminishing. Now, when you throw in the fact that you have all these other people, ancillary players nipping at you, buying your name online, doing this, doing that, it's a very competitive business model. There are very few business models in the world as competitive as this for the one reason that it, you could be a nobody. No one ever heard of your name. But your sister's cousin's boyfriend's barber's mother, her grandmother had an accident. Her grandmother died in a nursing home. By chance, it ends up in your lap. You get the case. You refer it out the next day to Brian Panish. You get a 40% referral fee. And you know what? Three years from now, you're my competitor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. There's just so much there. You know, I feel like it's attention arbitrage, right? So everybody goes to TV, then TV is more costly. Then everybody goes to digital and Google ads, then Google ads is more costly. Then they shift over to whatever. So, you know, I was going to ask you, you have a, a very strong voice, uh, you know, the personality. Have you tried things that complement? Have you, you know, I was talking to Gary Sarner recently and he's got a ton of experience in radio and he's like, Hey, He's like, you know what, Chris? He's like, the thing that's different about TV is there's no TV in a car, but there is a radio. Gosh, we spend millions of dollars a year on radio around the country. I mean, it's, you know, certainly innately our buys actually mimic the, uh, the usage of mediums right now. TV is still about 45% of media and media buys. But every year it's going down. I mean, just five years ago, it was over 60%. So it's a drastic change, and I think we're going to keep seeing it bit by bit go down. Streaming's becoming bigger and bigger, although we really haven't mastered the art of buying streaming yet. I don't know if any lawyer really has. It's it's certainly a nuance. Buy. Online, obviously, this is a significant amount of the buys, whether that's just SEO or it's um, you know with keywords, or you're really going after social media clicks. And you know what? Social media is the bane of my existence. I think it is for almost anybody because with social media, it's, you know, think about it. Daytime TV. You have people, I mean, why do we all advertise in daytime TV? Because it's the audience that is most likely to buy our services. The people that are looking for our services are watching daytime TV. When you're going online, social media is about relevance and trying to figure out how to make what we do relevant. We are only relevant when they need us. 
So how do you build a brand on social media? Because everything, in, you know, all I ever talk about when I talk to people around the country is a brand. This is right. a brand building exercise. Anybody can get one-offs. Anybody can get lucky and get that big case. It's the consistency of getting those cases all the time. And that's by building a brand. But how do you build a brand online? And I think it's only by creating relevance. And we're still trying to figure out that little off formula. You know, obviously, anything that you're doing with buying keywords online, gosh, I mean, that's everybody hates it. I think about it. They change, they change the goalposts every six months or a year, Google with their algorithm. The thing that's working now, they change it. Now you're, you're back to step one. And everybody's always trying to play catch up. And yet people are able to cheat the system. It's such an inexact science, and I don't like that. But unfortunately, we're forced to play it. Yeah, it's it's definitely the game. You know, you you build the brand, and they go to Google to search for your for your firm. You know, one of the things you mentioned, we had James Farron on. He's like, you know, Chris. He's like, a lot of people talk about TV is just brand, but he's like, I really use it as direct response. And I think a lot of times people say like it's either or. But kind of from what I'm hearing from you is you you think, hey, TV, it is brand, but it is direct response during day time. Yay and nay. Ultimately, TV is absolutely brand building. I think certain types of TV marketing are direct response. For example, your mass towards advertising uh, become direct response because they absolutely, oh my God, I, oh, I need that right now. But when you're advertising your normal commercials all the time, a lot of times you're just trying to, for us, obviously, we have our jingles and we get the branded numbers, you know. And so, you know, in Chicago, 222-2222, call 222-2222. So it stays on their head. Some people, you know, I'll meet them and they'll be, your number was the first number my, my child ever knew. You know, I hear that about a thousand times a year, but that's, that's creating a brand. Will that be, is that, you know, direct response? <sighs> I think there's there's a point. I think there's a nexus where direct response and a brand intersect. But I still, ultimately, I think we're about building brands. I don't think anything's ever going to trump the brand. The reason why I like the brand, you know, so many people go online now to find their lawyers. And so if they go on, they find you in the first page. So go down the first page. A lot of times they say they stop at the top three. They go through the first page. And they're like, oh, that's right. Learn, learn, well, man, I can't believe I forgot to. So, I mean, that's what you're trying to do. And then, of course, the other thing is, you know, the, the worst thing is paying the Google tax. I think every lawyer in America has to pay the Google tax where you buy your own name. And, I mean, I know what some other firms pay a year. I mean, we pay a lot of money a year buying our own name in our markets just to stop other people from buying it. You still have other people buying it. We have a full-time attorney. His only job is to send cease and desist. Our names are trademarked. And if you're buying our name, I'm going to sue you. Yeah, and I, I see that a ton. And it's, it's most of the time the, the individual's trying to piggyback off of the, the heavier advertisers. So they're buying everybody's name. And, and it's, it's kind of it's like theft of the brand. And I don't know how back it was Canon Dunphy versus Habish. And it had to have been around 2011 or when that first case occurred. And then it just opened the floodgates. Everyone started doing it. Yeah, well, I, you know, John Morgan's a very sharp guy. You say what you want about the guy, but he's a sharp guy and he's got some great people. And we saw what he was doing in terms of people buying his name and having them, you know, if even if you're coming up on my advertising, you're not buying my name, I want you to put a negative keyword. 
And so that's what we did. Yeah, and I've seen that email. So <laughs> he's he's certainly dispersed that a lot. I mean, it's just amazing how much you have to spend just to protect yourself from people stealing from you. But it's the price of playing poker. I don't know if you don't like doing it. I guess find another another way to make money. Yeah, I, I completely agree. For those listening, say say they're wanting to to get into TV now. I think it's still a great opportunity. And you know, I'm I'm a big advocate for a multi channel approach. You know, to building that brand. You know, what are some of the basic tips that you need to do for TV. Every market's different, right? You know, what's the minimum you're just looking at? I just think you have to, obviously, you have to look at the market to see the cost per TV households, how much is being spent by attorneys per TV household to see how competitive it is. You know, obviously, the most competitive markets in the country, you know, Vegas is one of the most competitive markets in the country in every medium, especially TV, but billboards. I mean, you go to Vegas and it's nauseating how many lawyers Boards, ours included, you know. <laughs> but um, Atlanta obviously is incredibly competitive. Baton Rouge, Birmingham, you know, there's some incredibly competitive markets that are just so skewed. They don't even make sense. You know, if you're not going to spend enough to be the top, you know, the top four or five players in the market, I just think it's it's almost better to find another way to advertise. Find a place, find a niche where you can have a strong presence. You know, it just depends on the market. It depends on what your message is going to be. Who are you? You know, I, I don't think people can come and say, I'm going to do the same advertising as Glenn. You're not me. And I, I'm not going to say I'm advertising as John. I'm not John. You know, we're all different people. I advertise to what I believe are my strengths. You know, my, mm-hmm. you know, my ability to just to be approachable and, hey, that guy seems like a cool guy, a regular guy. That's what my commercials are. I'm just a regular guy who became a lawyer. That's not going to work for everybody because people are going to see through. And you, if you're a jerk, they're going to see you're a jerk trying to just be a regular guy. And if you're a regular guy trying to be a jerk, they're going to see through that. You know, I've always looked at it like it's the jury out there and it's I'm giving my message. My competitors are giving their message. And who does the jury pick? Who does the jury listen to? And I, you know, I think we've been, you know, we've been relatively successful in our markets that, you know, where we've been the dominant player in all of our markets that the jury has picked us. There've been a couple markets we've gone into where they said, you know what, guilty. <laughs> no matter how good you are, if you run a volume business, you're going to get some negative reviews, which can really hinder your conversions. I asked Glenn how he deals with one-star reviews and if there's any way to turn a negative into a positive for his business. I think the thing that's made Arizona so successful is my partner, Kevin Rowe, you know, being there in the corner office, having a guy like that, that's just, I always joke that I sleep like a baby at night, whether there are complaints or not, because I know Kevin can't sleep. If there's one negative review, God forbid, he's up, he's on the phone with these, he handles every negative review himself. Oh, wow. That's incredible, you know, because that that negative review, even if you don't get it changed, it, the the review, the response is for for everyone else that may hire who may hire you in the future. And there, there goes a hundred thousand dollars worth of TV advertising with one negative review. And the problem is, the vast majority of your reviews aren't real; they're not true. It's not how the person really feels. Mm-hmm. It's you know, there was a a restaurateur, one of the most famous restaurateurs in. Um, in America, in New York, Danny Meyer. And Danny Meyer once said, the big mistake that business owners make is believing that the customer is always right. No one's always right. 
If you believe that the customer's always right, you know what you've done? You've created a fight between your customer and your employee. Basically, you've taken the customer's side over your employee's side. That's a very bad position to be in. So what he said, and it really stuck with me always and changed the way, because, you know, I was part of that faulty mindset, always the customer's always right. And what you're doing, you're throwing your employee under the bus then. You know, the customer's not always right. The customer always wants to be heard. And when you look at complaints, we're always going to get negative stuff. No matter how many wonderful five stars, there's going to be a one star from a person that, you know, just isn't able to comprehend things, doesn't understand the process, has unreasonable expectations, whatever. They'll, you know, we just had one with a guy. It's, it, it, it didn't matter what you said to the guy. He said, you guys only called me one time. I only spoke to the person one time. We had like 18, 20 documented correspondences with him, phone calls, emails, but it doesn't matter. Sometimes, you know, that unfortunately, that's the clientele you deal with a lot of times. You want to build a big volume practice. You take the good with the bad, man. You can't cry about it. You just got to figure out, you kind of play Lucy with the five cents. Some people you can't, no matter what you do, you can't get through to them. So you deal with it. I got, I'm going to probably have a one-star review forever on there and that's it. It is what it is. You know, I'll, I'll say what you were just talking about. It reminds me of that Henry Ford quote where he's like, if I listened to just the customers, we'd still all have horses, you know, be riding. You know, we wouldn't Absolutely. have vehicles. I can't remember Absolutely. the exact, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along that lines. And yeah, I, I think also though, you know, when I see a firm, even being a consumer myself, you know, I meet an attorney from time to time, whether it's a business attorney or whatever. When I go to look and I see all five-star reviews, I'm like, Really? There's no bad experiences? We represent a lot of people. Man, we we grind it out to really provide the best customer service. Yeah, there's going to be people, no matter what, there that are not satisfied. But you do the best you can. If you get a complaint, you do the best you can to turn that around. Because I'm telling you what, one thing I learned a long time ago is if you have a dissatisfied client and you can take that client and make that client a satisfied client, you have an ambassador for your business forever. Most people, the 99% that have a great experience, oh, yeah, Glenn, Glenn was great. Kevin was great. The office was great. My attorney was great. My case manager was great. The settler was great, blah, 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 blah. They forget about you. There was nothing there. It was just, it was what they expected. But man, oh man, I was so angry with them. I called the lady back once. I called her 20 times. She called me back 19 out of 20 times. But the 20th time she called me back, I hate them. They never call me back. You know, that's, you know, that that's the nature of our business. But when you take that, you make it better. Man, they listen to me. They heard me. They care about me. I'm important. You know, the truth is most people's lives suck. Let's be honest. You know, the philosopher Spinoza said, life is suffering. Life is suffering for everybody, no matter who. It's suffering for you. It's suffering for me. It's just we suffer with maybe a nicer house than the next guy or more cars or more debt, whatever. But life is suffering. So you have to look at it from that perspective that people have tough lives, man. They just want to be heard. They want to be recognized. And that's the most important thing we can do. You know, and I think we're really good at it compared to most firms. You know, I look at some of our competitors. It's just, I care about people. And I just feel, forget about it. I can't have everybody. I can't get every client. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I might think I'm the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. But there's some people that, that don't like me. They think my smile's cheesy. They don't trust me. They don't want a Jewish lawyer. Whatever it is. I don't know. A Jewish lawyer with a cross, especially. That's a real Mr. Gonna do. <laughs> but um, the truth is, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I realize that. 
But at the same time, when I see, you know, the experience that we have, and, you know, we've turned this into an incredible business because we've learned from so much failure, so many mistakes, but they're not failures. They're not mistakes if you learn from them. We've really taken anything that's happened, we've used it to keep building and getting better. But I see so many of our competitors and so many of the markets looking for the easy way out, the way they just, the way they treat people, the way that things go with people. And I, my heart hurts for the clients because they're getting these crappy settlements, crappy results. You know, four out of five attorneys in this business. They take whatever they can from the insurance company. They're not fighting for the client. They're just trying to make a quick buck. And it is such an injustice. I ain't never going to let anybody disrespect me and my client. When you, you know, discretion is a better part of valor, of course. But, you know, when you've, you've done this for so long, you know those times. But you can't take that office from the insurance companies. It just, it just is going to make you the whipping boy. It's like giving the bully your lunch money. They've got that record. They're going to come for it again. Oh God. And it's just I'm amazed by how many how many lawsuits. You know, I have twenty well, including my workers' comp. Outside of my workers' comp cases in um Chicago, I have over eighteen hundred cases in litigation in Chicago. That's how many cases we need to file in litigation because we get such bad offers because of the substandard insurance companies. You know, you you've you've built such a brand, you know, with with integrity and trust and and it's that eighth wonder of the world is compound interest, but but that's also relationship equity and building up over time. I love that word, man. I love that word, relationship equity. I love relational equity. Uh, relationships are the strongest currency in this world, I believe. You know, and to have strong relationships, good relationships, trusting relationships. There are two types of people, relational people and transactional people. I'm a relational person. I don't look at people and what I can get out of them. I look at a building relationship. If something comes from it, great. But the relationship in, in itself is, is enough because yeah. that's what we are. We are created for fellowship. And so at the same time, there are other people, a lot of lawyers are very transactional. What can I get out of this person? What can I get from that person? I mean, you got to live with yourself. you got to be comfortable right. in your own skin. And um, I just think life in, in, in the long run is so much nicer when you build it off relationships, you know, and that's my, that's kind of my job now. I'm the relationship guy. You know, I'm friends with everybody in the country. I think, you know, I have some wonderful relationships I've built over the years. And, you know, my partner runs the day-to-day -day of the office. And together, you know, it kind of morphs into a really nice, fun business where we do some nice stuff, you know, you know, around the country with our mass talks, which has really taken on much bigger. It's become a bigger part of our practice, absolutely. And I, I think certainly for the diversification, I'd recommend to almost anybody that, you know, certainly put a, you know, part of your budget into some mass talk marketing. It's, it's, as long as you have good guidance on it, and you can speak to the right guys. I got a few guys that when they call me and say, hey, get into this, do this, do this, I do it. You know, Arthur Luxembourg, Jerry Parker, both of them are very close friends of mine. They say, hey, get on this. I da 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 da. I love this. I love this. Done. You know, I don't really trust too many other people. I listen to the guys that the smart, the smart money, you know. If you find success in your city, the next step is often to try to enter a new market. Glenn's practice reached its ceiling in Las Vegas, so he started offices in Arizona and then Chicago. But it can be a difficult process with entrenched competitors and a whole new customer base. So how do you know if you're ready for that? I put it to Glenn, 
What are the signs that a firm should expand? Well, I think some of it's faulty wiring. <laughs> you know, never being satisfied. You know, at the time that we expanded and went to Arizona in 2005, 2006, you know, we certainly were the dominant player in Vegas. We were signing up, you know, a couple hundred plus a month. And it was a wonderful practice. I had about 90 people just in Vegas, and we were doing very well. But at the same time, I mean, Vegas is a, is a TV market. It was, it's only going to ever get so big. We were capped. And I think there was something in me as a person as well knowing that we could have had some sort of sustained excellence, but you would have only, all you're ever going to make over the years is roughly what you're doing now. It's not like you can, you can only get as many cases as the TV market's going to allow you to get. It's not like we're going to go from 200, 250 cases in a month to a thousand. You know, it's what it is. You're only going to have your piece of the pie in a finite pie. So we said, well, we go down to Arizona and I, you know, I told Kevin Rowe who had worked, who was working with me at the time, and it's shown a lot of really great managerial skills. I said, Kev, you go get licensed in Arizona. I'll give you a piece of the practice. And he did. And, you know, it's like they say, it's kind of the rest is history. Uh, took us about $9, $10 million of our own money. We've always been self-funding. Within about four years, we were cash flowing positively. Four, four and a half years, cash flowing positively. And it taken over the market, our brand. And within a couple more years, we had, you know, we paid ourselves back. And it's just been a wonderful cash flow practice. You know, this single event personal injury practice is a cash flow business model. Right. You know, that's why all the mass tort guys always envy us. They're like, man, I wish I had the mass tort practice. I mean, I wish I had this single event practice because the consistent cash flow is not the big hits. And then we're like, yeah, I wouldn't mind a big hit now and then. I'll take some of this cash flow and stop putting in some mass torts. And so right. there's, a, there's a segue there. To answer the question, I think part of it is knowing that a market can only be so big and never being satisfied, always wanting more. Right. Not more because I want more money or I want more acclaim. I think just always wanting to, you know, push push the needle. I think certain people are like that. And I call it faulty wiring. There are certain guys around the country like that. You know, most guys are satisfied being the big dog in the market. And I think that's admirable. It just wasn't for me. You know, I think. And then once we were doing well in um, Arizona in 2011, I said, man, I want to prove myself in a bigger market. And so I went to Chicago and, you know, within a couple of years, we dominated Chicago and far and away the largest volume practice in Chicago. The brand works. We're good brand builders. We're good managers. You know, you're, you're constantly striving to make it more profitable, make it more efficient, doing more in the community. You know, part of what's made us who we are, as well as the fact that we are so involved in our communities around the country. Absolutely. Tons of turkey giveaway, tons of backpacks. Well, the weekend after this, um, for a couple backpack giveaways, one in Merrillville in our Indiana location where we were about 30 employees and then on the south side of Chicago. That's a blessing to be involved in your communities because I think people forget, you know, what an impact you can. You're in so many of these markets, the advertising attorney is the most known person in his community. You know, especially if you don't have these pro sports teams. Gosh, I think, you know, for so many years, I was considered the most known person in Nevada, more known than Wayne Newton. Wow, wow. <laughs> Don't you say, but wow. um, the truth is, you know, you got that and then you got Arizona, New Mexico. Think about how much impact you can have. And that's, that's really a pretty amazing thing to be able to touch people's lives. You know, it's so easy to take, oh, yeah, get an accident, come to me so I can make money and you get a little, uh, a few 
shekels. You know, I think I really am very thankful. I have such an amazing partner. He's really, he was the impetus for all of this in the beginning. And then I kind of, you know, almost being competitive, I took it to the next level and said, okay, we're going to do this. And then it's been, we just built this thing that it's crazy, you know, 10,000 turkeys a year. I don't even know how many backpacks full of all their school supplies for the year. I reckon there's probably about eight to 10,000 of those a year. Then our golf tournament, we raised a million dollars last year between the two events. We're doing our first Vegas golf event this year, which is going to be kind of exciting. Yeah. And, and you know, I got to imagine too, the grassroots types of marketing and efforts, just the community involvement. That's, that's got to feel a lot better than just going to spend more on Google ads. <laughs> I just, you know, and again, I think that brings you back to the relational aspect of it. It's not just transactional. Come to me, I'll get you money, I'll make some money and go on and just put next one up, next one up, next one up, next one up. I think to be part of a community, you know, so maybe I won't make as much money. But I think in the long run, I think it comes back to you tenfold. I think among other businesses, so many businesses, you know, we've been named the most philanthropic business in Phoenix, what, I think seven years in a row. That's pretty cool, man. That's amazing. Man, you, you, we always want more. I don't care. I don't know what you have. And I've, I've been given more than I reckon I probably should have. And never satisfied. I always want yeah, more. And same. when you see how how little most people really have, the people that are watching us on TV every day, the people that are looking at our Facebook, how little they really have, you realize, man, I, I am so doggone blessed. You know? And I think you need to see that sometimes. And it, one of the things we always offer attorneys, any guys that are listening to this, or ladies listening to this, we're happy to help you with your outreach. I mean, I'm not happy to talk to people about anything, you know. I love mentoring people. I'm good at it. I care about it. But I think to be able to go out and really help people in their communities, I'd love the opportunity to go, you know, have our people go to people's towns and show them how to really start an outreach program. That's amazing. That's amazing. So we'll definitely link up all your contact information. You may have some attorneys listening to reach out. It's an amazing thing because for me, it becomes somewhat evangelical in that respect. You know, right. ultimately, we get to go out there and, you know, for me, I get to go preach the gospel. That's what I really, uh, I think that's what I am. I'm more of an evangelist now than anything else. So I don't know. It's just my calling. Yeah. I like that rising tides, the the abundance, like everybody wins. There's a lot of opportunity. I, I love that. You know, so I, I've got, I want to really respect your time here, Glenn. Uh, you know, I've got, one final question. Did here. I actually answer one of your questions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You did. You did. <laughs> I have the innate ability to go off on tangents. Oh, it's a lot of fun. There's tons of value. You know, so this is the big softball question. You know, you're never satisfied. You know, are you, are you pushing mass torch really heavy? Are you, what's next? Well, we're certainly going to diversify. Uh, we're really building large uh, mass tort inventories in a couple of the MDLs. Nevertheless, I think I, I truly believe in the thing I've been focusing on the last couple of years is consolidation. You know, whether that's with outside funding, Wall Street, whatever, I believe consolidation is coming to our profession. It has to. There are too many, there are too many people outside on the periphery. There aren't enough cases. And I, I kind of think, you know, remember when William Wallace gathered the clans? The only way oh, yeah. you can create a common enemy is together. You know, it's too difficult. They're, they're picking us off one at a time. You know, all the little guys just settling for crap. I really believe consolidation is going to come to the, the business of law. Um, we're one of the few business models in the world where there's been no consolidation. You know, you see, you know, John Morgan's been opening 
all over the country. And his is kind of a unique model where it's, you know, just goes in markets and refers him out. And if it works, he opens up. If it doesn't work, he, he leaves, you know. Mm-hmm. Ours is, you know, when we open, we're all in, you know. But I truly believe there's value in other people's brands. I'm not a narcissist. I don't need my name everywhere. My name has brand value in my markets. I'm not going to go spend the money to go build my name now in, in Birmingham, Alabama. Or it's a market I think is a wonderful market. But, you know, if I went, if I wanted to have a practice in Birmingham, I'd rather go buy a, one of the major players in Birmingham, do some si- sort of a partnership with that person to be involved, bring in our marketing efficiencies, our managerial efficiencies, our software, our intake. And that's where this business is going. You can't compete with me if you're going to try to come in and do 10 cases a month. But all of us together can build something really right. cool with because the, the problem is to do this the right way, you need to have a real business. You need to have management in place. You need accounting in place. We got close to 50 people just in accounting, you know? Do you want to do that? You know? But if now if we just add two more to handle four other offices, it just right. it's efficiencies. Business Economies, ultimately yeah. becomes about efficiencies, economies of scale. Can we take your marketing and with our marketing clout, you know, being the second largest advertiser in the country, can we buy better in your market, more efficiently in your market? Can our intake, you know, absorb your intake instead of you spending four people to do that? And then what's it worth to put all that together? You know, but I, this is where it's going, man. I know it's going, and this is all I've been really focused on the last couple of years, and I will get it done one way or another. I'm going to get it done because I truly believe this is the future of law. It's just, it, it doesn't work. There's no, other, there's no other business model in the world as fractured as our personal injury business model. And I think if you speak to anybody on Wall Street, they see it now. And I truly believe this is starting to become a focus for them, especially with the new Arizona ruling. You know, the new Arizona ruling 5.4, I think the ability to, for outside investors to be able to earn money with a law firm or to even own a law firm. And I think you're going to see that happen in every single state eventually over the next few years. No, no state's going to get left behind. Utah already approved it, but there was a two-year waiting period. We were the first state, Arizona, to actually implement it. Its exploratory committees have been uh, obviously put together in a number of, I think, 11 other states already. So I think it's just a matter of time. And I think at some point, I think in our, certainly the next five to 10 years, you're going to see law firms publicly traded. I think that'd be kind of fun for the, you know, just regular people to be able to, out of the, that business that they become so involved with. Think about it. You, everybody invests in Coke, Pepsi, all these firms that they don't know anything about. Yet now you'd have the opportunity to invest in, be part of something where you see the person all the time, you eat lunch with the person. It'd be kind of fun, I think. I'd like to thank Glenn Lerner from Lerner and Row for sharing the story with us. And I hope you gained some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to the Personal Injury Marketing Mastermind. I'm Chris Stryer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing. Marketing.